This is 5-Minute Friday on The Equality Machine. Professor Orly Lobel, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. It's awesome to have you on the show. You are a distinguished professor of law at the University of San Diego. You are the director of the University of San Diego Center for Employment and Labor Policy. You have two previous books in the employment and IP spaces. Your third book, The Equality Machine, Harnessing Digital Technology for a Brighter, More Inclusive Future, came out in October. And we're going to talk about your book in a second, but... For our listeners, this law professor has a very interesting data analyst background. So you're a data analyst in the Israeli military intelligence. Uh, that is super interesting. I don't know if you want to, you probably can't share very much about that. <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me, John, and I'm excited to be on your show. It's terrific. Uh, you're right. I can't share that much about uh, the military intelligence uh, experience. Just to say that I do actually write about it in the book that it was really my first uh, encounter with the power of technology and digital data mining to uh, do good and bad to to have this equalizing force. Um, so it was the one place in the military that was very gender equal because we were kind of using our minds and having this digital paper trail of our contributions. Um, mm. And uh, it, it gave me a lot of sense of, you know, how I wanted to think about tech policy and um, research, you know, what has been going on. And since then, you know, there's been so many developments, so I'm not going to claim, uh, you know, expertise like some of your listeners of uh, real data science these days, but I'm very interested in the developments and we'll talk about that. Yeah, well, you certainly do have expertise in using digital technologies uh, for equality. You mentioned equality there already. So in your book, The Equality Machine, you provide countless examples of how digital technologies, including AI, can address issues as diverse as poverty, injustice, climate issues, health, safety, and many more that kind of thing sounds amazing to a techno optimist like me. This is what I want to hear. I'm like, this this kind of interview lets me really get my confirmation biases going. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you have a few pertinent examples of how you think, uh, specifically data and AI digitization could make a big positive impact, uh, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, the whole purpose of the book is really... Uh, having a more constructive and cautiously optimistic vision and blueprint of where we're going with technology. Because as you know, we are in this moment of a tech clash and a mindset, not only uh, that is critical of big tech, but really of the technologies themselves, which I find really problematic. Um, I, I see a lot of not very informed uh, critiques of AI and algorithms and um, the book takes us on this w wild ride of um, the um, celebrations and great stories and success stories and, and trajectories, like real you know, changes that have been made, um, even when there were fails um, of using AI and automation uh, in certain contexts 
showing how you know we we can improve um, systems. So, um, I, one example uh, that's near and dear to my research that I talk about and like chapter three is um, how um, data science has been changing and tackling this very stagnant uh, pay gap and uh, salary inequities. So, you know, for years we've had laws that um, say equal pay for equal work, but mm -hmm. because um, like there's been such knowledge asymmetries, uh, you know, what is your worth? You know, what what is how is talent valued in the labor market? Mm -hmm. um, it's been kind of closely held just by uh, companies, by employers. Uh, we we've seen real stagnation in um, the gender and race uh, pay gaps. And now things are really shifting very um, fast with third party platforms where there's crowdsourcing of um, your, your salary, your current salary, your uh, past salary, um, looking at uh, pay scales, uh, policies actually that demand uh, to introduce pay scales um, and, and uh, governments that are collecting um, data uh, about compensation and analyzing that um, and also just software that um, leaders in this space private industry leaders are are integrating into their um, HR systems to constantly audit you know the ways that unintentionally a lot of times um, pay gaps just grow and, and stay um, uh, yeah, yeah so and I I'll just uh, mention that, you know, there's so many, that's just one example in the labor market, but I look at, as you mentioned, you know, health, um, correcting health disparities um, in how we've traditionally counted, you know, only certain demographies uh, when um, we did clinical trials um, and, um, you know, personalized medicine and, um just in, in the design of like a lot of systems like speech to text, text to speech, uh, personal digital assistance. What I show is that um, we need more data. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I get very, as a law professor, I get very nervous about when I look at um, the federal government and bills before Congress right now. And also um, at the EU, there's this idea of data minimization. Um, and I consult governments all the time. And um, I'm trying to kind of shift that mindset of, um, you know, like more data is harmful, which again, I, I think your listeners are sophisticated to understand that that's just not true, um, that we need data to, you know, really detect disparities and know what's wrong um, and correct things. But yeah, you, we can really take this to any field and, and lots of examples. Nice. So the main idea here is that whether we're talking about labor markets or healthcare, uh, safety, climate issues, it's by having data on sociodemographic characteristics, for example, that we can have a, a record of how different groups are being treated, and so we can actually um, we can we can reduce historical disparities that that have occurred. Yeah, that's one way to um, think about the use of data. Um, but we can also um, better understand root causes of ongoing disparities. We can mm -hmm. know where to 
um, invest more resources. Um, we can actually lower costs to increase access. So um, one example, for example, in the in the health uh, field that I talk about is when we're automating things like um, radiologists uh, screening for um, breast cancer or or any type of um, radiology screening. Um, a lot of times I see this um, fallacy of comparing, you know, the, the media will say, well, right now, maybe the technology is at a point where two human radiologists that um, are both looking at one x-ray are as good or maybe slightly outperforming an AI that's doing the same work. And um, I, I, using a lot of my behavioral research and kind of uh, understandings about costs, I what I argue is that that's just not uh, the right comparison because most people around the world will not have access to to you know highly trained radiologists. So if we can really spread uh, digital literacy and digital access to these new technologies that use data and in, in these ways, um, we really are uh, creating much more uh, inclusion and, and equality. Very cool. Yeah, that is another really great example. Um, what do you think about how our models could incorporate historical biases? Uh, do you discuss that in your book, how we could be uh, resolving the, these kinds of, you know, if, if there was an injustice in historical data and then we train a machine learning model on it, uh, that could mean that that's often the issue that is brought up to me as one of the big problems with data and AI. Uh, do you have resolutions for that kind of problem? Yeah, absolutely. I actually started the book with that, you know, so the equality machine is never um, set to deny that there have been these kinds of um, what other uh, kind of in that uh, very critical um, tech lash mindset have called automating inequality or uh, uh, algorithmic uh, algorithm bias. Um, weapons of math destruction. So there's a lot of that sensibility that, you know, we're just replicating and amplifying past wrongs because we're training uh, the algorithm, not only on skewed, a skewed set of uh, data, but also um, on, you know, our historical uh, exclusions and inequities. And um, so I go through a lot of kind of the, the developments, for example, in um, hiring, uh, automation system. So, um, you know, it, it's certainly true that if all you're doing with um, trying to automate like resume parsing is to train an algorithm of like, here's our past uh, successful uh, engineers and you just need to find people like that, we're going to just replicate, you know, past wrongs and, and we're really doing not much. Um, but what I see again, and, and I show this kind of that the same those same stories of fails just get uh, retold, and um, and that's not really the gold standard these days that a lot of um, companies are understanding that they need to do. So there's a lot. I, I go through a lot of different alternatives where um, it's not about exploiting past data, but exploring like you know, really telling the algorithm to explore other paths of finding highly talented people, um, whether it's through games or um, uh, things like 
using facial recognition, which is very high, you know, highly controversial with emotional recognition. But I show, you know, like what what I uh, show in every uh, turn in the book, whether we're talking about hiring or even like uh, automating a, um, an adjudicatory system like uh, bail releases or sentencing is that um, first of all, we don't need to expect an algorithm to be perfect and perfectly um, equal in, in terms of its outcomes. What we really need to do is um, look at the comparative advantages compared to the status quo. And you actually, Don, already mentioned, you know, you had, you said confirmation biases or, you know, you, you, you alluded to, you know, all these biases that we humans are very prone to. And, um, you know, as somebody who's studied and, and I've served as expert witness, an expert witness in many cases on um, discrimination and I teach it and, um, you know, we're, we're just human, uh, like black box algorithms that have so many uh, conscious, unconscious uh, fallibilities and biases. And so we really should not be talking about just like flaws in this absolute way about algorithms, but we need to see, you know, what is doing better, what can improve like in a general trajectory of having um, more equal systems and, and outcomes. Yeah, that all makes perfect sense to me. And as an interesting example of uh, how humans, of course, have that kind of black box as you described us, where this unknown black box in terms of how we make decisions, and one place that we can cause a lot of damage with our machine learning systems is the way that we label data. So whether we're using, in your example of uh, the recruitment technology, something near and dear to my heart, because I have a recruitment machine learning company myself. Um, and so we have to be very thoughtful about what data we use and how we use it. Uh, and so one, one place that you can get into trouble is if you're labeling data and saying, okay, um, this person is a good fit for the job, this person isn't, and you're using those labels to train the model, if you have a human doing those labels, uh, there's going to be situations where they have biases, uh, and if, well, they're always going to have biases. Not, not there's going to be situations. They are always going to have biases. We're not going to know what those are. Some of them are going to be subtle. Some of them are going to be unconscious. Some of those are going to be really bad. Um, but we, there are kinds of technological solutions for getting around these issues. In episode number 635 with Cheyenne Mohanty, we talked about um, ways of labeling data um, automatically using rules where when we use these heuristic rules to label the data, we have a record of exactly what heuristics we chose, and then we can go back through those as opposed to just having humans making these decisions saying, yep, this person's a good fit for the job, this person isn't a good fit, and we have no way of going back and saying, why did they make that decision? Um, so yeah, it's I, you know, part of my techno-optimism, to use that term that I used earlier in the show, is that we are increasingly aware I think in recent years, of the risks that data and AI can have in society. And so now we're devising technological solutions like Cheyenne Mohanty's in episode number 635 for overcoming some of those issues. And I think but, that'll continue. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and uh, I should interview you also, John, about the <laughs> recruitment uh, tools that you're developing. But that's exactly the... Um, 
exercise and research and kind of showcasing that I do in the equality machine of going through lots of different fields. So uh, I, I do the same with um, like I have a chapter that's called Algorithms of Desire and I show how we can get dating apps to do better matching and kind of helping nudging people overcome some of our historical and, and ongoing um, biases and kind of in-group preferences, not, um, you know, in kind of a way that's too paternalistic, but, but that really helps us line up with the, the norms and values that, that we care about. Um, and you can do that um, with everything, but you're right, like there, there are solutions, there are technical solutions and there are policy solutions um, that we need to get in place to do it better. I, I also do, um, I talk about it um, in a different chapter, I, I do consulting on content moderation. And again, they're like human moderators are notorious and um, mislabeling and labeling according to a lot of cultural um, you know, beliefs that um, don't necessarily line up with what our, you know, our goals, our democratic goals. Um, but uh, there are ways to shift beyond that and, and really use machine learning to highlight those very biases that we're even, you know, doing in, in, in the, in the labeling process. Um, and, and importantly, we're, you know, we're getting better at it. Um, and, and we can check the outcome. So, you know, one of the points that I really argue for in the book is that we need to actually collect what the EU and the GDPR and, you know, uh, a lot of laws here call um, like sensitive information that should not be collected. We actually should collect sensitive information. Um, so demographic information in, in, in the inputs so we can actually have a check with the outputs of whether we're doing something that has an in disparate impact uh, and whether we can, you know, toss that and do something better. Um, because when we're like, you know, completely, um, uh, you know, clean slating it or, you know, uh, anonymizing in that way, we, we don't have that learning curve that we can develop. Yeah, yeah, perfectly stated. Um, so the title of your book, as well as uh, some, a term that you've mentioned a number of times in this episode, is equality machine. So is is that like a discrete machine that you can define as, or is it more of like a broad concept? Yeah, it's, I think it's actually both. It's, uh, it's, it's my response to all these um, titles and terms that we have that I already mentioned, kind of uh, algorithmic bias and automating inequality and um, surveillance capitalism and weapons of math destruction. There's a lot of that um, doomsday dystopian, you know, uh, ideas of what uh, machines can do for us. And um, so the equality machine is, is both a mindset of let's, you know, try to do better. Um, but it's also a set of principles. It's like a blueprint and a vision of, um, you know, not having a double standard for humans and machines. So looking at the comparative advantages, looking at the um, trajectory of uh, actually being able to improve something and keeping a, a digital trail of, uh, you know, having these checks and, and using data where it's most needed. Um, so, so figuring out, you know, what do we care about and count what matters. So, you know, actually understanding that 
data collection has always been political, you know, even in the most like low tech settings, just like like census data or uh, whatever we've always done in like uh, clinical trials and uh, government uh, data collection and industry. Um, there's always been like a tilt to it. And, and now with, um, with, with our really vast leaps in computational uh, abilities, we can um, put our energies to having more representative, more complete um, data sets and use them in, in the ways that uh, we want and kind of lining up with our democratic values. Nice. I love that. And I'm sure many of our listeners do too. So check out Orly's new book, The Quality Machine. Um, uh, it's currently at the time of recording. I don't know if you know this, Orly. It's the number one new release on Amazon in the category of computer and internet law. Uh, it's obviously doing really well uh, as a new release. And yeah, so check it out. Listeners will be sure to have a link to the book in the show notes. Uh, Orly, clearly you have a lot of expert knowledge in this domain and it's directly relevant to a lot of our listeners, especially the ones that want to make a big social impact, a big positive social impact with the data science models that they build. How can they, after this episode, follow you? They should check out um, my uh, platforms everywhere. So I'm Orly Lobel on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, and I would love to connect to um, all readers uh, and uh, especially learn you know, more examples uh, that you're working on whether you're so you're right on how you framed it that it's relevant to anybody who wants to do good but really ai for good is not just uh the purview of activists or governments it's really in the private industry uh it is happening and i want to really showcase that those people who have skin in the game so not just telling the you know the bad stories but really understanding that um so many of us care about these uh, issues and we can do good and do well. And um, so, so yes, please connect with me, Orly Lobel. And thank you for having me. Yeah, you're most welcome, Professor Lobel. Thank you so much for being on the show today. All right, that's it for this 5-Minute Friday episode. Until next time, keep on rocking it out there, folks. And I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon. <laughs>